to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 19. We are in verses 11 through 17. We are spending a few weeks now, uh, actually just a couple of more weeks, on Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and then we'll look at the problems in Ephesus, what caused those problems, what led him to leave Ephesus, and uh, we, we glean some things out of that. But this morning, this it's actually a three-part message that we're going to do two-thirds this week and a third next week. Uh, 11 through 20 is really the, the whole deal, but there was just too much there for me to squeeze into a two-hour sermon. So um, I, I had to cut that down some. So we're going to look at the first two. What? I don't, I don't know what you're laughing at. Um, we had to cut that down some, and that's okay. It gives us a little more time to focus on some things. We need to understand some parts about uh, uh, this ministry in Ephesus. If you're not coming to Bible study on Wednesday nights, you're missing out. If, if you aren't taking part in the men's group or the women's group, you're missing out. If you're not taking part in the uh, kind of the generic adult Bible study that I lead, you're missing out because we are going through Ephesians. And as we read, especially this passage uh, on Sunday mornings, and then we read what Paul was writing back to the Ephesian church some seven or eight years after he left, after this that's going on right now, we, we understand better what he was responding to here. We understand the events of Paul in Ephesus by looking at what he continued to teach the church at Ephesus some eight years later while he was in prison, possibly in, uh, in Jerusalem, maybe Rome. But we get some... some uh, well, there's some phrases that, that, that Paul uses in Ephesians that, are, are gonna, that, that sound a little odd when we get there. But if we understand something about Ephesus, they make more sense. And then they also help to explain this passage. At the heart of the Ephesian economy was uh, magic, paganism, and the, the supernatural, the, the occult. Now, there, it was a, a port city. There was a lot to the economy there besides just this. But... The uh, Temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven uh, wonders of the ancient world, right up there with the Colossus of Rhodes and the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, the uh, Great Pyramids in Egypt, the, the Temple of Artemis was, was one of those. That, 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 uh, that temple had, I think it was 126 columns, some three or four stories high. I mean, this was huge. Huge and gorgeous by all accounts. And then in the middle of it was this statue of Artemis. And among the other things she represented, she also represented magic. And at the, the base of the statue, there were symbols that weren't explained. They were supposed to be magic symbols that you could use in incantations and all these exorcisms and everything that was going on uh, if you knew how to do it. It was bunk, right? But that didn't matter to the people in Ephesus. So four times in the book of Ephesus, in the letter to um, the book of Ephesians, the letter to the churches in Ephesus, Paul mentioned 
supernatural, demonic forces. And if we're not careful, we skip over them and we maybe misread them. And uh, as we've been going through Ephesians, we've gotten to, to three of them, and we'll get to the, the fourth one here in a, a few months as we continue through Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians 1.21, Paul says to the church, uh, he says uh, that Jesus, in verse 20, exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Verse 21, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given. And if we're careful, not careful, we read that as, okay, he's talking about earthly kings or earthly rulers. And, and, and you, you would be, okay, that makes sense until we keep going in, 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 uh, in Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 2, in which you previously lived, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the, the spirit now working in the disobedient. And he begins to use some of the same language uh, for obvious demonic and satanic activity. Uh, and, and now we begin to get a, a, maybe a clearer picture. Chapter 3, verse 10. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. Clearly, he's not talking about on earth because he said in the heavens. And then chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And then we just have a perfectly clear picture of Paul talking about the demonic activity that the Christian life is up against. But this had uh, even clearer meaning, even more carried more importance to the church in Ephesus and informs this passage, this, these events that happened uh, for Paul while he was ministering in Ephesus. He writes to the Ephesian church about the principalities, the authorities, and the, the demons, and the powers in the air, and all of those things, he writes them to remind them of our extraordinary God. To remind them of their extraordinary God. When he uses these phrases in the letter to the Ephesians, he's bringing to mind, they're remembering this, these very acts of God among them in Ephesus. In verses 11 and 12, we see the extraordinary power of our extraordinary God. Verses 11 and 12 of, of Acts 19. And in, in verses 13 through 17, we see the extraordinary reputation of our extraordinary God. And then next week's message is the extraordinary impact of our extraordinary God in verses 18 through 20. Paul was reminding the people in Ephesus of what God had done amongst them. Folks, sometimes we need to be reminded of what God has done amongst us to let us know that he is the same God that was, he is the same God today, and he will be the same God later on. Paul was writing to the people in Ephesus saying, he hasn't changed. He is still that God. Acts 19, 11 through 17 says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and, and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. 
Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man, it's okay to giggle there, because that's funny. that, That is a funny verse in the Bible. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. First, as we read this passage, we see in verses 11 through 12 uh, the extraordinary power of God. As we read this, let's not forget, let's not lose sight of the fact that this is about God. Way back when we started Acts, back in 1987 or something like that, um, way back when we started, I I told you that Acts is not about the apostles. It, it, It follows the apostles, but Acts is about the Holy Spirit. Acts is about what God is doing through the apostles. The apostles are merely the conduit. We, we, don't, we don't focus on the pipe. We focus on the water that comes out of the pipe. This, the, the, the apostles were just the pipes. They were just the conduit for the Holy Spirit's power. So when we read this, we see, and, and Luke makes clear, he does not want us to be confused because in verse 11 he says, God was performing extraordinary miracles. Who was performing the extraordinary miracles? God. By Paul's hands. Paul, uh, God was using Paul, he was choosing to work through Paul, but it wasn't Paul doing it, it was God doing it. So Luke is making clear that this was happening. And, and so that even, I mean, listen to Luke's language, so that even face cloths or aprons, rags that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and they healed people and they drove evil spirits out. Now in our, our postmodern, highly technological world, Miracles are difficult for us to grasp, often. We pray for them, and we, we uh, rejoice when we see someone healed for which there was no explanation, but, but that's usually kind of where we stop on miracles. We, it's just miracles don't impress us as much as they should. We've seen too many magicians on TV. Uh, the best, uh, my favorite magicians on TV are the ones that show you how the tricks worked. That's what I love. I'm amazed, and then I'm amazed again. And, and we're going to see, actually, some of that uh, here in this second passage. But we, we, we just find those in our westernized, highly technological world. We find miracles difficult to follow. These people had no problem believing miracles. Also, as Baptists, that may, and I have a parenthesis there, may have responded, parentheses two, viscerally to abuses of biblical miracles, we also have a problem with miracles. We look around us and we see charlatans like Benny Hinn and others that'll go into a hospital and heal everybody in the hospital except nobody leaves. You know, we we see things like that and we go see it's it's abused, so we're going to throw the baby out with that bathwater. Well, we can't do that because this is the same God that we serve today. We have to look at these miracles and understand that God is doing something purposefully among those people. 
So we don't want to respond, well, I've got an iPad, I don't have to believe in miracles. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm Baptist, I don't believe in miracles. No, we don't do that. We, we look at the scripture and we let the scripture speak to us as the scripture intended to speak to us. And what we see is incredible works of God through Paul. And it's, it's the, maybe the strangest passage in the, the uh, New Testament in Acts about healing. We are not amazed that Jesus does any kind of healing any kind of miracle in whatever way he chooses. Because we look at him and we say, hmm, he's Jesus. Well, he can do however he wants to. But then we look at Paul and we say, okay, we've seen the apostles heal people, or God through the apostles heal people. They you know, pray for them, they lay their hands on them, whatever. But then it just got weird in verse 11 and 12. Prayer cloths? I mean, that's, that's what they sell you on TV. Send them 10 bucks, he'll send you a prayer cloth he's prayed over. And for free, you'll get a little vial of holy water, too. I'm not sure how holy the water is that comes out of his tap, but that's what he's selling you. And, and he'll, he'll, he'll send it to you. And, and, and you can sow your seed of faith, and, 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 and he, he's right in a sense that, that uh, somebody gets wealthy, but it ain't you. See, we don't have that with Paul here. Notice that Paul was not sending out his rags, his, his headband. I mean, that's basically what it was. It was his headband or his apron that he put on when he worked. It's not Paul sending it out with uh, a, a self-addressed stamped envelope uh, saying, now send me money back. It's, it's, it is God choosing to do something among a people that needed to see the truth of what miracles were juxtaposed against the falsehood of magic and superstition. And God's doing something amazing among them. This would be similar to what happened when the woman with the uh, hemorrhage touched the hem of Jesus' cloak. And he said, what, who, what power went out of me, who touched me? And, and we have that whole scene there. That's similar to what's happening here. And, and we look at it and we can get bogged down in the how. We, because, again, because we see the folks on TV that, that sell this mess, we say, well, it's just, I can't, I can't wrap my head around this. Wrap your head around the fact that God was doing something to draw a particular people to himself. I don't know that miracles would have the effect today in westernized society that it had in Ephesus at this time because we would say camera tricks uh, uh, sleight of hands misdirection we understand how magicians work there's no such thing as magic there's just really really clever tricks and so somebody comes along and and touches a person who's in a wheelchair with a rag they bought off TV from somebody in California, and that person gets up, our first thought is, the person wasn't sick to begin with. There wasn't anything wrong. It's fake. Fake news. Fake news. That's, that's what we look at. That's what we think immediately. And so, so God does not, I believe, God does not use miracles in the same way today. But talk to a missionary in a country that is still dark with magic dark with superstition 
talk, read uh, a book. I've, I've recommended this book numerous times over the years. Uh, I cannot remember the author's name at the moment. The name of the book, though, was And the Word Came with Power. That's the name of the book. And the Word Came with Power. And it's about a uh, Wycliffe Bible translator who went to a remote uh, Philippine uh, village that had their own language and her job was to spend a number of years with that village and translate the Bible, figure out their language, develop an alphabet for them or develop a way to spell words using our alphabet because they didn't have any written language and then teach them to read their own language and then translate the Bible into their language. How many want to sign up for that job? Ain't easy. Her book is incredible about the number of ways that she saw spiritual warfare and miracles, things that blow our minds, that even as we read it in our American society, we go, come on. It was no problem for those people. No problem to believe those things. That God was stronger than their superstition. So, that's what we have going on here. Let's not discount the miracles. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, it just can't happen that way anymore, so this doesn't matter to us. It does. God still works with power today. He is still an extraordinary God. Now, as Luke emphasizes in this two-verse passage, he emphasizes God. For Luke, that's where the emphasis is. The emphasis, emphasis is on God. God was performing extraordinary miracles because he's writing to an audience that knows who Jesus is, who know, that knows who Paul is, and he wants them to see this is the God you serve. This is the same God you still serve. Extraordinary God with, an extraordinary, with extraordinary power. But for the people that are seeing this activity take place, the emphasis was on Paul, but really on Paul's message. Remember, this is a, a society that is focused on magic. And they're focused on um, incantations is the only word I can think of at the moment. Spells. And, and saying it just right. As a matter of fact, it was all about the words that you use that make magic work. And so the people are seeing what Paul's doing and they're saying, all right, I want to hear this message. He's got all the right words. Let me hear what he has to say. The, the people expected fake magic. Let's remember that too. They expected things, to, they expected magic, and I have fake in parentheses because some of them were skeptics also. And they're, like, they're looking for the tricks and looking for the, but the rest of them were totally fine with the superstition and believed it could happen. Like I said, the, the statue of Artemis had those magic symbols on the bottom. Exorcisms were a big business. You could uh, ex uh, kick demons out of people's homes and, and do all these incredible things if you knew the right words to say. So the people were expecting that. They lived in this society, they lived in this culture, and then Paul comes up with these magic tricks that work. Wait a minute. I knew these people. This, this wasn't fake. They really were lame. They really were blind. They really were sick. And now they're not. This is different from the rest of the stuff we've usually experienced. And what they saw was that God was with Paul. They saw that if his actions were true, then quite possibly his message was true 
these actions showed God's blessing of Paul. Showed the people this message is something I want to listen to. These were, as Luke puts it, no ordinary deeds. They didn't even fit the, the uh, definition of magic for them, for the people. This was beyond what they had seen and come to expect. See, magic seeks to manipulate the gods and deceive people. That's all magicians do today is deceive us, and we know it. We know we're being deceived, and we pay to see it. It's fun. We like to be deceived because we know it's a trick. But in this day, not only was it to deceive, but it was to manipulate the gods. They were using the magic to get what they wanted out of the gods. Miracles, on the other hand, are God's sovereign acts through someone. Notice, just the pipe, just the conduit. The power is in God. These were no ordinary deeds, and they confirmed the message that Paul preached. We know it confirmed the message because of the extraordinary reputation that we see in verses 13 and se- through 17. Some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over uh, uh, those who had evil spirits. See, the, the people primarily focused on Paul, Jesus, and the message that came with these mighty acts, that came with the, this extraordinary power. But some, like the seven sons of Sceva, just focused on the perceived power in the name. As I said, exorcism was a big business. If you were sick, it was a demon. If, it, if you felt bad, it was a demon. If, you're, if your business wasn't going well, it was a demon. So we're going we're gonna to say some spells, we're going to do some things, and we're going to drive out the... We're going to drive out the demons and, and everything will be okay. I'm going to say some words. Jews, Jewish exorcists were a favorite because even the Greeks knew they couldn't say God's name, Yahweh. We don't even know if that's how they pronounced Yahweh, pronounced the name. It's, it's four consonants. We know that, but we don't know how the, the, the vowels worked. That's why you see Jehovah in some places. You see Yahweh in some places. And as a matter of fact, they have found books of spells that tried to spell out God's name based on, it was, it was phonetic. It was phonetic spelling in Greek to try to, okay, what, um, Yahweh, and there were three or four different spellings of it trying to get it just right. Why? You had to say it right. It's the magic spell. You, you say, uh, hocus pocus instead of uh, uh, a la peanut butter sandwiches and you're going to get the wrong result. So you have to say it just right. And they're focused on this. So the Jews come along and they hear about this Jesus word that, that gives them power too. They've also found uh, uh, spells from this era that have uh, Jesus... Christus, very common misspelling of Christ. Instead of Christos, Christos. It's very similar and it's very common. They were trying to use this name, this perceived power. And these seven sons of Sceva, uh, he says here a Jewish high priest. There was no Jewish high priest by this name. Scholars think either one, it was a, uh, just a high priestly family of Jews, they, they, they were cousins of one of the high priests, or 
it was just a marketing gimmick. They were trying to sell their exorcisms. So what better for a Jewish exorcist to be the family of a high priest? And the Greeks didn't know, have a list of the high priests. They said, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, we're seven, the seven sons of Sceva, the Jewish high priest. Hold on, let me get my list of high priests out. They weren't doing that. So it was just it, possibly just a marketing gimmick. And we see this is one of my favorite verses because I'm a big fan of the sarcasm. Uh, this is like favorite verse 1a. Favorite verse 1b is in Isaiah. It's a long passage. I, I want to say chapter 46 or something like that. Where Isaiah goes in this long description of a guy going out and chopping wood, dragging the wood home, cutting it up into little pieces. Some of it he uses to make furniture. Some of it he uses to build a fire. With that fire, he cooks his supper. He eats his supper. He makes a wooden bowl out of some of the wood. And with a couple of pieces left over, he makes a god, bows down, and worships it. And it's, it's just pure sarcasm. It's how in the world do you get the same, from the same tree your furniture, your supper, and your God. Uh, it, it's, it's beautiful. I love it. And, it, it. and this one would be 1A. The, the, the evil spirit in this one man, after these seven sons, pronounced the name of Jesus. And look how they say it. I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. They basically say, uh, in the name of that guy, come out. And the, the demon just laughs and says, I know Jesus. And it's funny because... It, he uses, Luke uses a couple of different verbs, and it's probably not to, meant to, to, to differentiate how he knows the two. It's just, I think it's just good writing. I know Jesus, and I'm, I'm quite acquainted with Paul. I recognize Paul, but who are you? I mean, even the demons recognize who Jesus is. The demons, it's not the first time. Every time, or most every time, Jesus cast out demons, they, he would have to tell them, shut up, don't tell people who I am. What, what do you have to do with me, son of God? What? Hey, nope, it's not my time to, to tell all that, so y'all hush about that, just get in the pigs and go on. That, the demons know him, they, they know Paul, I mean, they are clearly acquainted with the, the sweat rags that were casting out demons and healing people earlier. These guys, this demon doesn't know. So what we see here in this passage is that the message is spreading. So much so that people are misusing the message. They're pulling bits and pieces. They're, they're, he, we could expand this a little bit, and we're going to here in a minute too, uh, and say they're pulling bits and pieces of scripture that they like to, to, to bolster their pet doctrines and their pet beliefs and their pet traditions and they're leaving the rest of it these guys pulled the name of jesus to get the power they wanted and left all of the rest of it for other people the reality is that the power of god this extraordinary power the, the extraordinary reputation came from a relationship not the name we have to be careful with this too. The songs that we sing sometimes. No other name but the name of Jesus. You know, Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. I mean, we, we have a lot of songs that are, that are good. We should focus on the name, but not 
to the degree that we think the name is its own magical formula. If I just say the name Jesus, I get everything I want. If I just say the name Santa or Genie, I get everything I want. That's how we sometimes treat the name. We misuse it, and that's what was going on here. They, there was, I'll give you your seminary word of the day, syncretism. Bringing in bits and pieces of what they liked from various religions in order to get one that was palatable to them. This is nothing new. It's nothing old. It is right here today, and it was right then, 2,000 years ago. It's a common temptation, syncretism is. And we're going to talk a lot about syncretism next week when we talk about the extraordinary impact of Paul's work among the people in Ephesus. But we see today syncretism, we see it there, uh, mixing poor biblical interpretation with a lust for power. I'm a Christian, by my definition of it, so that you will like me. Politicians have been doing that for hundreds of years, all the way back to Charlemagne, not saying that any of them weren't Christians, but Christianity was a powerful tool to wield to get your way in certain places. So we can say certain things about the Bible and pull and, and, and interpret them in certain ways to, to satisfy our lust for power. Maybe uh, syncretism shows up when we mix favorite verses with a circumstance that I do or don't want to deal with. Y'all, Philippians 4... 13, I'm horrible at the addresses, I can do all things for, through Christ who strengthens me, does not mean you can score touchdowns anytime you want to. Sports players, doesn't mean you're going to be a three-point shooter like Steph Curry. That's not what that verse, is mean, that verse means, but we take that verse and, and use it in a circumstance that we like, we want to do well, or we take Jeremiah 29, 11, and we apply that to a bad situation. See, God doesn't want me in this situation. Oh, really? The people who said that verse were in a bad situation. God put them in. And he says clearly, I'll get you out when I'm ready. My plans are for you for good, for purpose. And right now, the good and the purpose is for you to sit right there in Babylon Grow old, have families, till the land, bless the city. So we mix these verses with our circumstances we don't or do want to deal with. Or we mix culturally specific situations with a uh, favorite church tradition. I think I've talked to you before about how missionaries finally changed their policies. They would go to the uh, savannah in Africa and they would build square brick churches for people who lived in round grass huts. It didn't fit. It was, they were taking their culturally specific church from America and planting it in a situation, or rather they were taking their, their church tradition from America and planting it in a culturally specific situation where it didn't fit. It was a form of syncretism. It looks good, but we're mixing our personal stuff with our biblical stuff. And that has a negative, not a positive effect on the reputation of God. We can flip those around a little bit and say, God's reputation should lead people to look more like God, not more like us. 
syncretism messes up the reputation. Now, God still works in extraordinary power. That has not changed. God's power hasn't changed, just, and in parentheses, apparently, the way he chooses to wield it. I am perfectly fine believing God still does miracles just like are in the Bible. have no problem believing that. I just have difficulty believing it when it happens. But I'm westernized, hyper-technological, 21st century Gen Xer. So I look at a lot of things critically and skeptically. And that is something I have to jettison because that, that view of miracles often seems incongruous with my ideas of how things ought to be in the world in which we live. And so I have to say, you know what? I don't care what I think about things. I'm going to look at his power. And God's power has not changed. If you want proof of the power of God, don't look at prayer cloths. Don't look at holy water. Don't look at miracles and exorcisms and healings. Look at the fact that God still saves sinners. That's the power. That is all the power that we need. Look inside. And when you see that God saved you, when you look and see that God saved me, that is all the indication of the power of God that you need, that we need, because he saved me. So, God still works in extraordinary power. We still, you know Jesus said to the disciples, y'all are going to do greater things than me. You realize that, right? His disciples would do more and greater miracles than he did. And he did a lot. John said, books can't contain it. And yet he said the miracles that y'all would do would be more. We still have that power. The question that we have to ask ourselves, or maybe one of many, but this is the one I came to this week. Are you here this morning? Are you a member of this church? Are you coming to God today for the power Maybe you're here for community influence. One of the things we're finding politically is that 50, 60 years ago, in order to be elected, you had to be a member of a church. You didn't have to be a strong believer. You just had to be a member of a church. You had to connect with the Christian faith. Uh, Look back at Kennedy's election. How many people revolted against the idea of a Catholic president? I'm not old enough to remember, I only read the books, but I think maybe some of y'all could nod in agreement. Was that something y'all heard when Kennedy was running? We can't have a Catholic president. Because they felt like that was too different. He should be a Protestant in order to be a president. Community influence is a type of power people come to church for. Heavenly manipulation. Are you here so that God will approve of you? And you'll get what you want from God. See, God, I came to church. Even, even put what I had in my pocket in the offering plate. Well, not all of it. I had 100. But I had a 20 also. And I put the 20. I didn't put the, so I, but I put it in the plate, right? I gave you something. I, 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 so, so you should give me something back, right? In a lot of ways, we're not much different sometimes from the seven sons of Sceva saying, I've got the name. Why aren't I getting the things I want? Maybe... You are here today for moralistic family development. 
Maybe you're here because it's good for kids to grow up in church. Learn some values, then they can decide when they're a teenager what they want to do. You know what you're going to get? A teenager that decides to leave the church and be like you. That considers Christianity just some good morals that you want to follow on occasion. If you're here to, to manipulate your family to do good things, it's not going to work. Change only happens when the Holy Spirit resides. See, the extraordinary power of God that should be your focus is His power to save even you. Not community influence, not heavenly manipulation, not moralistic family development, or any other ways that we want to use the power of God. But in order, but we see the power of God saved us so he can save other people as well. God still has an extraordinary reputation. Still, to this day, God has an extraordinary reputation. You know what the problem is with God's reputation? It's not God. The problem is those that carry his name. Our actions reflect on Christ. When we do and say something and at the end of our name or in, in, in the community in which we live, we are known as Christians, then we reflect on Christ with every action. It is credited to Gandhi who knows who actually said it. Maybe he really did. I would believe in your Christ if it wasn't for you Christians. He would believe in the Christ of the Bible but what he saw at, his, at that time was England colonizing India, brutalizing the people, and claiming the Church of England as their faith base. I would believe in your Christ if it wasn't for your, your, you Christians. God has an extraordinary reputation. But what reputation are you building? What reputation am I building? Who are we living for? Are we living for Christ or are we living for ourselves? Do we come to manipulate God? Do we come for the power of what we can get? Or do we come for the power of what God can do through us? Are we coming to receive or are we coming to be a conduit of God's power to other people? What is the priority of your life? Do you want just to have good things and a pretty good life and you know make some good choices and hope it works out in the end it won't it doesn't work out in the end believers what christ do people see when they see you when they're categorizing what category what christian category do they put you in what what do they see of Christ in your life? The extraordinary reputation of God that you project should be that of a Savior who would give up everything for a relationship and a fix for the brokenness of this world. If we show any Christ but that, we are showing antichrists to the world. We are showing a false gospel 
to the world. If our lives, and I'm talking about our personal lives, I'm talking about our social media lives, I'm talking about every decision we make, every uh, conversation that we have, every response we have politically, socially, anything that goes on. Michael, that's too hard. Who said it was easy? I mean, I know Jesus did when he said, take my yoke upon me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, well, maybe it's not easy because you ain't given up your stuff. He, he asked, uh, Jesus asked Paul, we find out later on, and when we learn of a second vision that Paul had, he says, why do you kick against the goad? Actually, it would have been more like this. Because he's talking about when he got poked in the rump to move him forward, he kicked against it. Why do you keep kicking against the thing that's supposed to be moving you forward? Why do we kick against the relationship with Jesus? Why do we kick against the burden of being a Christian is on us? And I mean the burden is because the, the, the fact that we have a burden, the fact that it is burdensome is our fault. That's what I'm trying to say here. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. We make it burdensome. What message are we sending? Are we sending a message by our presentation of the reputation of God that he can save sinners, that he can heal the broken? Everybody understands brokenness. They understand that this world is not the way it should be. And we might have to explain to them that, well, that's because God's design was messed up. And we should. God's design was messed up by sin. Sin ruined God's design. And every time we sin, we get a little more broken. And any time we sin, it's a change from God's uh, original plan. And when we try to fix the brokenness on our own, we can't. And we just make things worse. Sin is brokenness. The answer to that sin, that brokenness, is the gospel. The, the, the answer to understanding and appropriately using God's power is the gospel. The answer to the sharing the, and spreading the reputation of God is the gospel. An accurate reputation of God is the gospel. Michael, what is the gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus crucified, buried, raised on the third day. A sinless, perfect man giving up his life for you and me, taking our sins, taking our punishment, rising on the third day to prove he had power over life and death, therefore he had power to forgive. And if we repent of our sin, turn from our old life, and believe in Jesus Christ, we will be saved. And we can begin to recover and pursue God's design. We begin to recover and pursue God's power appropriately in our lives. As we are a conduit for it, we begin to share and show a proper and biblical reputation of Christ, of the Lord, and not one that looks like uh, a cultural Christianity or a political Christianity or some moralistically uh, relative Christianity, but a profound, deep faith in Christ that can change the worst of sinners. That's the power of our extraordinary God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your work among us today. Thank you for your word, your extraordinary power, and what you're going to do through us if we will submit and commit to you.
God, I pray that as believers we would submit and commit. I pray that as unbelievers this morning, folks who have never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, today is their day to to follow you. Maybe they're going to choose to make that public today. Come forward and say, I want to be baptized. I want to follow in obedience. Maybe we need some folks to come to these prayer rails and offer up to you uh, confession that we've not shared the reputation we need to. Lord, you do amazing work in the hearts of the people today through the whole, your Holy Spirit because that is the only way we will experience change. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what is your decision today? Do you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and give him the brokenness? Do you need to commit some things to him and move in another direction from where you are? We're going to take a couple of minutes here as we sing for you to hear from the Lord. Respond. If you want to come pray with Tom, you can do that. Pray with me over here to my left or come to the rails. But in this time, as we stand and sing, you do business with God today.